How are you doing, you old book pirate? <laughs> <laughs> so good to see you. Uh, <laughs> you are listening to another episode of the Imperial Senate Podcast's Literature Discussion Show, The Senate Library. Woot, woot. Uh, so make sure you got your little data pads out because we are going deep, deep, deep into what we like to discuss in these episodes, which is... You guessed it, the books, and sometimes the comics of uh, of the Star Wars canon. Um, so, of course, I'm your host, Nikki Kumar, and joining me today to talk about yet another fine addition to Star Wars literature is my co-host, Claire Stribling. What up, Claire? What up, Nikki? I have been so excited to talk about this book. It is, I'm just so I'm pumped. I've been dying for this book to come out. I was dying to read it. And I'm really glad that we've been able to discuss this. And even before episode nine came out, because I mm-hmm. feel like things are mm-hmm. going to change real soon here. <laughs> yeah, dude, I was the same. Like this one, this book for me was one that I've been waiting for a long time in, in sort of the recent um, canon, because this one was pushing forward, right? It wasn't filling in a gap um, from the past. So this was this is like taking the story from what we saw in the most recent movie and, and blazing towards the next one. Um, so yeah, it was my most anticipated one. It was the one I read the fastest out of like any book <laughs> of Star Wars. <laughs> um, and I read in like three sessions. Um, Beautiful, which for me was a big deal. Um, but yeah, it's gonna be fun to talk about because, as everyone knows, it is sort of the the link between, or one of the links between Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker coming out in nine days. <laughs> oh my God. That? Um, as of the day of recording, of course. So um, yeah, I guess before we start, goes without saying, but we will anyway, that this podcast is going to be completely filled with spoilers for Resistance Reborn. Woot woot. Did we even what, mention what? that we were doing Resistance Reborn? <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess we probably haven't. We're doing Resistance Reborn. I hope you're excited to talk about this book. <laughs> yeah, so all, everything we just said, you may have learned or, uh, you know, inferenced, I guess. But um, yes, Resistance Reborn is the topic by uh, Rebecca Roanhorse. And um, yes, if you haven't read it and you care about the spoilers, please don't listen to us. <laughs> it's the only time we'll ask you not to listen. Come back um, later. Thank, yes. Come back when you finished or you uh, have spoiled yourself already. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you don't want this one spoiled. I don't think you want this one spoiled. No, there, there's so much like, you know, throughout that little really pleasant surprises and nice little turns um, that you'll want to you'll experience the right way. So definitely. Um, don't don't listen to this one if you don't want to be spoiled. But we will uh, go ahead and jump right into a little bit of a summary, and um, we'll start by saying uh, Resistance Reborn was written by award-winning science fiction and fantasy writer Rebecca Roanhorse. It's her first Star Wars novel. Um, it was released on November fifth, twenty nineteen. And to quickly go through the plot, uh, we'll start right at the beginning. So. Immediately following the events of The Last Jedi, we find the Resistance almost completely destroyed. The number of survivors, so few, they can all fit inside the Millennium Falcon. Can you believe it? Our precious Resistance. 
obliterated at great. Oh, <laughs> um, but, you know, they're still going. And although our heroes are shaken and feel that they have lost nearly everything, they refuse to give up hope. They begin forming plans to rebuild the rebellion. Yes, yes, they do. And so they decide to divide and conquer. Uh, first steps. Snap and his wife, Kare, head to Akiva to see his mother, Nora Waxley, and his stepfather, Wedge Antilles, to see if they are willing to come out of retirement to help the resistance, which, yeah, buddies. <laughs> it was so nice seeing them again. Oh, so good. Um, so good. And Poe po instead seeks out help from Maz Kanata, who he intends to find as wants her to be a leader for the new <laughs> fragmented resistance. Um, and she refuses to help in a leadership capacity, but she does give them a lead. Apparently, there is a wealthy Corellian noblewoman, Nifera Shu, who has obtained and is auctioning off a list of incredibly valuable First Order prisoners with some very prestigious titles like senators, rebellion leaders, and just a bunch of people that could be ideal candidates to lead and rebuild the resistance. So they need that list. Mm-hmm. So. Then Leah, she finds temporary home for the resistance while everybody else is off doing their own thing. So she's off on Ryloth with the help of an old friend, our buddy, Yendor. What up, G? Why? Yay, Yendor. Um, And when the others have completed their recruit finding missions elsewhere, they regroup on Ryloth. From there, um, they hatch two different plans. So Shriv, we all love Shriv. Come on. Sweet baby Shriv. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, Shriv from Battlefront 2 is set to lead a mission to the planet Braca, another big video game reference. Um, players, players of Jedi Fallen Order will be familiar with Braca, um, where the Scrapper Guild has plenty of old Resistance and Rebel Alliance ships primed for the stealing. Poe, Finn, Charth, and her son, and Resistance pilot Surlinda from the Poe comics uh, plan to attend yes, yes. the birthday party bidding war on Corellia to obtain the list of um, First Order prisoners. Leia recognizes the fragments of a name and title on the list, none other than her dear, lost friend, and sometimes enemy, <laughs> frenemy. <laughs> <laughs> a very beautiful, complicated relationship. Oh. She finds Ransom Kesterfo. Oh my my god. (laughs) (laughs) So Wedge, Nora, and a few other resistance members also go to Corellia with the goal of rescuing Kesterfo and as many other prisoners as they can spare. So while the others are away completing their second round of separate missions, the Ryloth government ends up betraying Yendor, Leia, and the resistance and tells the First Order. So Yet again, the resistance is under attack and they have to flee the planet where they've only been for about 30 seconds. (laughs) And many lives, including Yendor's daughter, Hani, were lost. So the resistance is homeless yet again. Suffering many losses as well, Shriv's team is able to secure several fighters from the Scrappers Guild. With the help of First Order's Yama Dex, who we will discuss later, she's a young girl who's been beaten bloody by her superior officer, who we will also discuss later, Mr. Mm-hmm. Winsure Brat. Um, and with her help, they are able to save the prisoners. After the birthday party and bidding war is raided by the First Order, Finn, Poe, Charth, and Suralinda are able to both escape with their lives and with the hostess of the party, Miss Nifera Shu, who has the list on her person. 
<laughs> Womp. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Successful, <laughs> but battered. The teams reunite with Leia, and the resistance has survived another day. A few people and ships stronger. Now, um, before we go into the in-depth discussion, we're just going to start off with a, a little appetizer by asking what was the general impression of the novel as a whole. So, Claire, why don't you go ahead and start that off? This book is probably my favorite of the year. Mm-hmm. I really adored it. It not only it was it was so satisfying because we're coming to the end of our movie our our sequel trilogy and that's coming to a close and it's bringing everything from all three trilogies together. They've repeatedly said that that everything's coming together. The beauty of this book to me a lot of it rests in the fact that Rebecca Roanhorse is able to bring all sorts of Star Wars um, canon that from the movies and from other, you know, content and bring it together. We have Battlefront 2 being brought together with our heroes from the main story because we know that they worked together. We have so many different novels. Like you said earlier, we have characters from the Poe comic. We have so many characters in our canon that have been separate and off on their own things they're being brought together and are finally working together and it's so rad Mm. (laughs) like it's so good and it's just emotionally satisfying it was exciting there wasn't a moment where i was like well i'm kind of losing interest in this no from start to finish i just really enjoyed it yeah for sure i think that that pace really kept up like the first night, like my, my session one, I think I read 17 chapters. Like I, I got into <laughs> like, you know, it's nice to read a book before going to sleep, you know? So like, definitely, I, I got into bed, I opened that book and I was up for, I don't remember how long, just reading 17 chapters in a row. And yeah, cause like <laughs> it just keeps going and it's, it's a real, it's a real page turner. <laughs> um, it most certainly is. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> um, it was it's just really it's really cool like you said it's a love letter to storytelling um even outside of the movies because you know yeah like not even just people who are in different things like even visually where you see a character like 3D modeled in a video game but then yeah. another character like is just a drawing in a comic book but now all of a sudden they're like sharing that space with like film characters and um you can sort of like it's like they all sort of come out of their own separate mediums and then share one on the page um which is just it was really special especially when you've been um you know invested in all sorts of different stories throughout different uh throughout the past i guess what four or five years of sort of what we've been doing um so yeah, I think I'm trying to think like my initial impression was this was very much like a sequel to a few sort of stories and I think the ones that stuck out st- or stood out the most were the Aftermath uh trilogy and um Bloodline. Yes, two of like, my favorites. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. And like I had a friend who was like, "Should I read it?" I'm like, "Oh, you should definitely 
maybe do some other ones first <laughs> yes. because yeah, it, it draws on a lot and there's even even a lot of the Poe comic because um, you know we get pretty much all of Black Squadron is in there I think we pick up with Black Squadron right after the like last issues of the Poe um, series so yes. it's just, and we it's have just so like awesome. lost stars in there as well with like fragments right, right. of like Corona squad like Corona Squadron and like mm-hmm. We're all there's a lot going on right now. <laughs> yeah, because because Claudia Gray's very good at using her own assets, right? Like that's why that's why Yendor's in Bloodline and stuff. Yes. Um, so it's almost like the whole saga <laughs> did a Claudia Gray and was like, I'm gonna use everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> use it so all, throw it, it in there. Make it exactly. work. Exactly. Um and yeah, it was just it was just special to see everyone working together and Basically, my um, my sort of old EU didn't really go much beyond the X-Wing series. Um, so Wedge Antilles has kind of always been my homeboy. My and boy. Having him back in a, in a new canon Star Wars story was so special. And that's probably like the thing I'm most grateful to... Um, Resistance Reborn was bringing Wedge back into my life <laughs> in a great <laughs> way and also not killing his ass. Thank, Thank you. Because <laughs> we were getting close there at the end. I was going to be um, so mad. <laughs> yes. I was like, oh no. Um, but yeah, so Wedge is safe. Wedge is fine. We're all good. Um, how are you? And um, yeah, I mean, it's just there, there will be so much that we forget to mention <laughs> in this episode because almost every page of every chapter had a moment that was like, um, it was just standout. And it like payoff is a great word for this novel because when, when you've been sort of tracking all these characters throughout different um, sort of stories, seeing them all come together and, and work together is awesome. And then my sort of final overall point um, I thought it was really interesting how the First Order is more of like a looming threat. They're not actually like the villain. Yeah. Um, at least not not like in a general Hux way. And the villain is this slimy motherfucking middle management fucker. Yeah. <laughs> and right, and it's like, um, there's no, there's no, there's no Kylo Ren. No. In this novel. Um, there's no Hux either. Hux, Hux, no. I think that was that was the like allegiance. Yeah, the allegiance comic had a bit of them, but um, yeah, this book no. And you really get to see, like a lot of the times, even in our own life right now. Huh, oops, um, we sort of wonder <laughs> how how bad things are able to happen. You know, like yes. you look you look at the news someday and you're like, how is this happening? Um, and this book kind of goes away to explain that, <laughs> yeah. Because you have you have these people operating in sort of just bureaucratic positions who are letting it, you know, who are like seeing it out, and um, usually for personal gain or just selfishness or just sense of a job that they I don't know maybe enjoy doing. <laughs> um, I think that like Monty Calais says it exactly. He's just like, well, I mean, I've heard that the organization I work for does bad things, but 
they've done good things for me and they've given me a job and they've I haven't seen them. I haven't done any of the bad things myself. I just work with those guys. So you're able to compartmentalize. Right. And it's it's very much like not good. A, it's not a problem for me, so it's not a problem kind of thing. Yes. Um and it and you know it's tough when especially not to like place too much judgment on the people of Karelia or or the United States. <laughs> um but uh it's sometimes it's hard to do anything. Sometimes you don't know what to do. So you may as well just like Yeah. Wait it out, <laughs> which I feel like is how first order occupation is working. Um, I think even exactly. even Wedge is. I guess we can go into this deeper later, but um, Wedge and Nora kind of like on Akiva, and they're like, "Yeah, first order might come, and it might be like suck for a bit, but we'll just like keep our heads down." Um, and they're freaking rebellion fighters, right? <laughs> yeah. So I thought I thought that was a really interesting way for the novel to show the villain because it's, it's not all about star destroyers. It's, you know, it's the people, some people who let bad things happen and kind of enjoy doing it. Um, but yeah, so I guess we'll jump into the more, uh, deeper dynamics of, um, the, the novel. And I guess one of the first ones, because, uh, she's sort of the focal point of the whole, um, book is General Leia Organa and especially how she relates to Rey in the sort of opening passages and and throughout. Um, so they both sort of have to deal with I guess the force, right? <laughs> and and mm-hmm. handling grief and disappointment and expectation, the loss of Luke. Um, they, they they start them both in a really interesting place. Uh, Sort of consoling each other. So, like, what did you think about their dynamic? I thought that they were perfectly paired. I don't know what scenes we've got for episode nine. I don't know what has been filmed for Leia and Ray. Um, but I think that this book is a great, is a really great depiction of how I would imagine, you know, they're they're to be immediately post this tragedy that affects both of their lives so profoundly this this loss of Luke this loss of Ben um Ray feeling that connection with him and realizing he's too far gone and that she can't do anything to save him and Leia being you know exactly in that same boat and it's just they are they they need each other and Ray needs Leia she is the last person who understands aspects of the force she's the last forced force user that Ray knows personally. And the thing that's fascinating and kind of scary to both of them is that Leia has to teach, be the one to teach Ray and help her figure out what these mysterious feelings looming over her person, like when Ray feels that something wrong is about to happen and then the First Order attacks. Leia has to be the one to nurture her into doing this, even though she's not the Jedi Master Luke Skywalker, even though she didn't train to be a Jedi Knight, but she uses the Force it's mm-hmm. and is perceptive to the Force. It's just fascinating because Leia is in a position in every aspect of her life right now where she doesn't know if she can, if she's equipped to steer this ship right, whether mm-hmm. it comes with Rey and her training or whether it comes with 
the resistance because she knows she can't do it alone. It's just, I loved that they were paired together. And I love that Ray didn't go off on the big spy missions like with Poe and Finn. I like that she didn't go off on those other missions, that they kept those two characters together because I think that they really need each other right now because I don't think anybody on that ship understands what Leia or what Ray are feeling more than those two. So pairing them together, I think, was a beautiful choice. And you're able to get that really great moment where Ray can, like, feel something bad coming. Yes. Um, Oh, God. So good. And Leia's like, embrace it. Like, don't, like, trust in your feelings, girl. Right. So good. Yeah, it it really excites me for what scenes are going to have together. Um, Yes. Because obviously obviously we know they're there because we've seen the trailer footage and stuff. Um, We got hugs and stuff. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But the context of those conversations and just both their relationships to Luke and, and I mean, who better than Leia to like talk about expectation and (laughs) like dealing, dealing with loss. Right. Um, She kind of wrote the book on all that in the star Wars galaxy. Um, And it's nice because we discuss that as fans mm -hmm. all the time. But it's yeah. never discussed in the actual canon content. It seems like it's not really something we talk about. And Le- and Leia, at the beginning of this book, talks about how how much she's grieving and how much she like she thinks she can't go on. And she goes, "Of course you are. Like, of course you can go on. You've done it before. You'll do it again. It's just another loss. You got to keep going for them." Like mm-hmm. that's what we always knew about her. But it was like, uh, it just felt good. You know, and just thinking how much loss can this incredible woman handle? She does. She thinks she's reached her limit, but she mm-hmm. continues to push forward. Yeah. And it's it's the burden of like leadership, right? Like, yeah, you can't like no matter what, you can't stop because like people are depending on you. And exactly. You've got to You've got to figure this out because you're the one in charge. And, you know, sometimes things don't always go well, but you have to find a way to pick up the pieces and I think that just exemplifies another character's journey throughout this show or throughout this book <laughs> everything <laughs> of course feels like a show um, but yeah the other character is uh, Poe Dameron who of course had probably the the worst moment of his life <laughs> in The Last <laughs> epic, Jedi epic failure um, he just he just like I'll, I'll start this off by Ooh, saying Poe's, yeah, please Poe's do. arc is my favorite of the last Jedi, I think it's it's just fascinating at like as a discussion of what it means to be a hero and what like leadership means and just your you know how to how to deal with your place in a in a war I guess. Um, but Poe, his story is about screwing up and not trusting the right people and thinking he knows better and making the wrong decisions on all those fronts. Um, so his story in this book is how do I rectify this? How do I grow as a person? How do I get or like earn respect back after everything I did wrong? Um, and he, he goes on quite the journey in this story because, you know, like, like everybody who goes through this stuff, he's got baggage (laughs) from the past week or two. Um, and even even within like the last Jedi, right? Like, if you take into account the the deleted scene where he's like, 
yeah finn sorry i was like busy saving the fleet and then like <laughs> and then like the next the next shot of him would be him getting slapped in the face kind of thing um <laughs> so like he goes from you know i am i'm the guy to oh god <laughs> what's happening <laughs> um and i thought that was just like that's a really awesome story and getting the fallout from all that is really cool in this novel and a lot of his internal uh, monologue. I don't, I don't know if you can, I don't know if this book has a protagonist, like a singular protagonist, but I feel like Poe could be a contender for that. Yeah, I agree. There's a couple serious contenders, but Poe does play a very, very significant role in this one throughout. And we deal with more of his internal struggle, I feel, than many people in this book. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just it's yeah. There were a lot of Poe moments in this that you know it was it was nice to see because we're going to go a couple of years ahead in the time and uh, in time, and Poe's going to be confident, and we're going to maybe get like one or two lines about him being like, "Yeah, I screwed up, but now I'm a leader again." Like, I think that. So this book was important because it's nice to see how shaken Poe actually is about how much he screwed up Mm -hmm. and how sorry he is for Vice Admiral Holdo. That was there was a few lines in this book of him thinking about Holdo and how he's underestimated her and her plan because Poe is a pilot. You go with your gut. You it's reaction. You go with your instincts and that's how you survive. If you've got good instincts, you survive. When it came to The Last Jedi, thinking with your gut got everyone killed when it came Mm -hmm. to a leadership role. So that's why, I mean, Nora Wexley and um, and, uh, our good sweet Wedgie, they, uh, (laughs) they talk about later in the novel when they leave is... We're pilots, we're not leaders. And that's because it takes a different mentality. It ta- it's mm-hmm. it takes the trusting your instincts as opposed to formulating and trusting in the bigger plan and bigger picture. Um and Poe's gotta start to do a little bit of both. He's not going to be in like General Leia's role, but he is responsible for leading a group of pilots for leading Black Squadron. And listening to him struggle with the decisions he's made while still being honest with people. That was huge. He had to tell Black Squadron himself that, hey, most of the fleet is probably gone because I screwed up. Are you still willing to let me lead? He had to make some really big decisions in this novel. And Poe po was, po was, was an interesting one for me. He, I loved yeah. his journey in this book. Mm-hmm. And again, a testament to his the strength of his character is when he owns up to all that, they still want to follow him. Exactly. Um, so again, it's, it's about like honesty and, and accepting again, these are all last Jedi lessons. It's like, it's like we've seen this before. It's like accepting your failures and, and learning from them and, um, and being honest with that and using that as a way to move forward and, and correct. Um, so it's like, yeah, Poe po is very good in this novel. It's also why his face is so big on the cover, because it's like, <laughs> he he's a big deal in this novel. Um, and <laughs> he's kind of a big I think, deal. 
kind of a big deal. Yeah. Um, I think also he, uh, his characterization, she, I think Rebecca Roanhorse nails his voice. Like, yes. I don't know. She did a great job with everyone, but I feel like something about Poe, like it's almost like you could hear Oscar Isaac saying those words, um, which is a wonderful thing for a novel to do. Um, But yeah, I guess we have some other characters uh, like the little bit of a family drama, mini family drama going on uh, within (laughs) within the story. And anyone who has uh, read the Aftermath novels knows these people well. And that's uh, Snap, Kare, uh, Nora, and Wedge as sort of, but mostly like Snap, Nora, and Wedge as like the Wexley family kind of core. And then uh, how they deal with... um, you know, fighting for these causes for some of them again, like Wedge and Nora have, have kind of already done their time kind of thing. Like, like, like the, the Luke line of, you know, this is your fight. Um, like that could have easily been them. Um, they've already fought for the rebellion. They don't need to do the resistance, but they do decide to come back. They've earned their retirement. Right. <laughs> and it's, it's an epic moment when, because you get it from Wedge's perspective, I think. And he's like, you know, they're like going to bed at night. And they're like, oh, we'll decide in the morning. And Wedge is like, I've already decided. But then you find out Nora <laughs> had like already decided before Wedge. <laughs> um, <laughs> they wake up in the morning, the first order's coming, and both of them already have bags packed. <laughs> yeah, they're all, they're all both ready. So like, it was a really awesome moment. These people who like, they're so set in their values and what they know they need to do. Um, where it's like they're both sort of they're both saying one thing but knowing exactly what they're gonna do uh both of them and like that was really awesome and it's another sort of great um sort of layer to star wars where you know in the in the i feel like this happens more in the movies because obviously but you see it more from like the the heroic perspective of like the force users almost whereas in these sort of stories, you get really to dig in more of the the regular people, like knowing they like knowing their um, sense of responsibility and stuff. And these are just two pilots who, you know, their their strengths don't come from the force, or not like using the force, but just from uh, from having like a, a core value, like a strong core value and the ability to do something about it. And that's another like sort of just great layer to these kind of characters. Yeah. And it's just, we, they addressed it a lot in the aftermath trilogy. That was one of the major, one of the major emotional conflicts was between snap and Nora about, well, Temin at the time and Nora about how he resented her for, making that decision and leaving and for choosing the war over his own family. And it's kind of funny because as he grow, he's his mother's son. And as he grows up, he chooses mm-hmm. the war over letting his family retire in peace. <laughs> he, tra- he tries to bring them back out of retirement at some urging, of course, but he, and it's that conflict from the aftermath trilogy is mm-hmm. clear look damaged his relationship with his mother and stepfather 
Because it seems like they right. all walk on eggshells before he even suggests that they go off and fight in a war. And it's nice. And they finally eventually have that moment where Snap calls Wedge dad. <laughs> and he like melts like the cutest little puppy on the planet. He's like, oh my God, he loves me. He does love me. Like it's. It's it's just so funny that it's just they she did an excellent job of letting these characters, you know, it it like when you're a kid you don't it seems like you don't understand what mom and dad are up to like mm. or why they make the decisions or tell you you can't do this or can't do that and you like kind of resent your parents a little bit growing up and then when you get older you realize nah mm-hmm. you're pretty I get you you're pretty rad and it was nice to see her like continue with that story from aftermath and that relationship and right. get them to a place of understanding and acceptance with whatever choices they make. Cause of course, Nora and wedge leave the end of the novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, I, if I remember correctly, like I think snap didn't want to bring them in. Right. Like on the first, the initial suggestion. No, he, he was didn't. like, Oh, come on. Like they're, they retired. <laughs> like he's like, I'll ask, but They've like, I don't know. You know, <laughs> they 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 don't want, they wouldn't want to do this. Um, but of course, the the strength of their morality they they knew they couldn't sit this one out. Um, and yeah, it's like continuing that sort of conversation of when they go in. What was what exactly did it feel like for you when Snap told Wedge that Luke had died? <laughs> I. <laughs> <laughs> so I was listening so I have both the audiobook and the physical copy of the book and so the beauty is I have a long commute to work so I am listening in the car it's like 6.30 in the morning I'm driving to work and I hear this exchange and I start awkwardly <laughs> crying to myself <laughs> while I'm driving I'm like this is getting dangerous it's like something like they are so separate in the movies and in so many aspects of the canon. Luke and Wedge are so separate, but they are the only two X-Wing survivors from the Battle of Yavin. And how can you not like? Yeah. Oh, that's his longest living friend is now gone. Somebody that you thought was immortal. He's a freaking Jedi. Jedi, you know, mm-hmm. Jedi can't die. He was never going to die. He was going to live forever and be wise and separate in the Force. Like, I, she perfectly captured how profound of a loss that is. And that, you know, depending on how far you dig into this thing, into this Star Wars thing, it may not have occurred to you that that moment was important and necessary mm-hmm. if you're going to include Wedge. Yeah, but it was for sure. It freaking was. Like, that was probably the for me. That was the probably the biggest emotionally hitting moment of yeah, the entire like novel. That, that is putting sort of an exclamation point and all caps letters on the the cost of this for Wedge now. Because, um, like you said, you know, um, Luke was always sort of this presence in Wedge's life. And I think it might be something that's explored in the comics because the comics are like, we're going to document every day between A New Hope and (laughs) Empire Strikes Back. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I don't really read those, so I don't know for sure. But I feel like the the sort of like dynamic between Luke and Wedge is one 
that can be explored really deeply because yeah, like the two survivors of the sort of their first battle, like big battle together kind of. And um, then that sort of just the, the bond you would share being in rogue squadron together and all the missions and surviving all those. And of course they're partying together on Endor after having, you know, destroyed the Death Star and winning and whatnot. And it's like, yeah, that, that could be like Wedge's best friend throughout the, the rebellion yeah. era. And he's this, this legendary figure. I think in the novel, he says something like Luke never really talked too much about the Jedi responsibilities. Right. Like it was, it was all just sort of like in the background. I never really knew too much about that, but, but he did know. And he did know that this was sort of like this, you know, he yeah. Luke was essentially a superhero to him. And, knowing that he was lost in this sort of devastating battle um, is, was like, it's, it's one of the, yeah, one of the, the big gut punches of, you know, like a post battle of create world um, where you, where you really sort of like feel the loss of Luke. Cause even in the last Jedi, like Luke's death is hopeful. Yeah. You know, it's like it's it's the peace and purpose line, right? Like he 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 did this perfectly. But you know, to someone who doesn't understand that sort of side of the force and didn't feel that, like Ray's like, Oh, I felt <laughs> I felt kinda good actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> like <laughs> for for someone <laughs> for someone like Wedge, it's like um yeah, it's like that that had to hurt because how do you um um, how do you sort of reconcile that when you don't get that inherent understanding of how Luke went? Um, so, so yeah, that, it was it was a really big moment. Um, yeah, I I struggle I struggle to put into words how that might have felt. <laughs> Just knowing yeah. your longtime friend died, and you know you weren't there maybe to like fight next to him or something, you know. Um, but yeah, that sort of is sort of the the core pieces of of that sort of dynamic, which I think can then now we can focus a little bit on as we were discussing earlier these uh, the villains maybe of the story, um, not all of them, but the sort of like center of that story it revolves around uh, Winsher Brat, Monty Calais, and Yama Dex. Each one a very interesting. And different character. Um, so Wincher is kind of he's the boss. He's he is the villain of this of this oh, little novel. Oh Lord. Um and he gosh, what was his actual job? S- Jesus. Something. <laughs> it was something to do with like it was it was essentially like records keeping. Yeah. Yeah. So playing so boring. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like again, this is this is like the fascinating side of the first order that it shows, where it's like these are the desk jobs um, where it's like, how do you, how does a, an evil regime sort of like maintain itself because of people like Winsher Brad. Yes. And he's sort of like his main sort of uh, issue in this story is overseeing the, I guess like detainment and usage of these like political prisoners that they've all captured and he has, um, and they're dangling that carrot in front of him, like you're gonna get promoted if you do a good job here. Exactly, 
Yeah, and uh, and he has a homie called Monty Calais in his, um, I guess, servitude. <laughs> He's sort of like his little assistant. And then Yama Dex, who's like a young girl from, is she from like an academy or something? I think so. But one thing that we do remember from her, she has an eidetic memory. <laughs> right. Star Wars bringing back the eidetic memories. Yeah. So um, she plays a very important role eventually. And they have this really weird sort of dynamic where Winsher is like, oh, Monty is the ideal kind of uh, <laughs> employee. And Yama Dex is this like awful... <laughs> young girl who doesn't understand anything and she's lazy and doesn't take her job seriously while Monty's actually the one like working under the table and Yama's <laughs> like the, the dutiful worker. <laughs> yep. um, so I guess that sort of like goes into like Monty Calais and his sort of connection to the collective, which is like a, it's this weird sort of underground movement of like hackers and technicians and, engineers who are like trying to fight the first order that way um and they're they're not kind of like you say it that way you think they're good but they're kind of not also um a little shady yeah like they they don't operate in the the nicest way but they do have sort of a net positive of being anti-first order um but yeah what did what do you think about these three characters because they are very they're, again, like we said, like an interesting way to show the First Order. It definitely is. And I I really thought this was an interesting, first of all, interesting villain choice. Someone who's Winsher Brat, who's so hungry for power and hungry for the next step that he's, and so looking forward and being cruel and that, and, and just looking forward and ignoring what's right in front of you. I think that's really, really easy to do. And I just finished the, I was telling you, Nikki earlier, I just finished the Chernobyl miniseries on HBO. And honestly, one thing that I learned at the end of all of that, spoilers for a real life actual event that happened that you could Google and find this out anyway. um, That's exactly why the Chernobyl nuclear power plant, why the core exploded. Because people were, I was part of it, is that people were looking forward. People were ignoring, you know, they were ignoring the signs and the warnings and everything that was right in front of them. Because if we pass this uh, safety test, then we're all going to get promoted. Mm -hmm. So they were just get this test done. No matter if things are off, no matter if numbers are off, let's just get it done. And that's a good reason why it exploded. That's a good reason why Winsher Brat in the end fails is because he doesn't realize that this loyal, perfect... He misses like 8,000 warning signs mm-hmm. that Monty Calais is about to betray them by bringing that list of prisoners to the collective. Mm-hmm. Um, although at the time, he didn't know it was the collective and felt very bad about it, which I thought was hysterical. Like, what did you? who did you expect the list to go to? I know, like, right? what, what, were you, <laughs> what did you think would happen? <laughs> but that was funny, and um, I enjoyed that. But also missing that... Yama Dex, she's a 15-year-old girl. And maybe she's not your perfect employee because they put a 15-year-old girl under your service. Nobody, like, it's probably her first major, like, it's probably her first job. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) and putting her in such an important 
bureaucratic kind of not bureaucratic, but you know, it's it's that kind of role. I feel like that's a big responsibility and maybe she's not emotionally prepared for prepared for it as a 15-year-old because she's 15. Like <laughs> that's just the way it is. And he ignores the 8,000 signs of Monty being shady and that Yama is trying to stop it. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't, he chooses not to see it and instead just move ahead, go forward, chug along because I'm going to get promoted. And disrespects their the loyal like members of their own service. It's the First Order making traitors out of their own people. And I loved, no, it, even though it's not everybody making freedom fighting, major stances joining the resistance. It was people making a stand for what was right at the end of the day. Because Monty Calais gave that list to the collective, who in turn it eventually got to the resistance. And then Yama Dex ends up helping them once after, you know, her boss beats her within an inch of her life and she's battered and bruised. um, She ends up helping the resistance complete their mission to save the prisoners because with her perfect memory, she remembers numbers and where they are and who they mm-hmm. are. And she gets them where they need to go and she gets them out because she remembers everything because her, the thing she believed in and that was supposed to keep her safe betrayed her. And I thought that that whole, whole story was just fascinating. Like yeah. you're going to, if you push people too far, they're going to rebel what are you doing, guys? Yeah, and like again, it's like you. We talk about like how do we, how do you really like make this pencil pusher essentially, like a like a, a the villain. And exactly. Part of that came to his like devastating like physical assault on her. Yeah, his love like, for that violence. Was brutal. It gets. Can you imagine if he was ended up if he wasn't pencil pusher if he was a like a general. <laughs> right. Um, and yeah, you just, you get this notion of this guy who's like, he's just a really shitty person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Winter is, is a very shitty dude. Um, and yeah, it's it, like you said, like it, you can read the signs forever. Like it, all these like defectors and stuff like, um, People, when you push people to, to an extreme, like they they'll turn on you. Um, so yeah, it was it was a really like awesome dynamic and and just yeah a cool way to show to show villainy. Um, but going away from villains and going back to heroes, uh, Shriv and Zay, <laughs> yeah, buddy, our good old friends from. Um, the Battlefront 2 campaign, Zay, of course, being the daughter of Del Miko and Aiden Versio. Um, they come back into the story in a big way. And they were ones who, like, they'd been teased already by, like, the Del Rey sort of um, marketing push of uh, Resistance Reborn. But I wasn't expecting them to have such a, like, a big role in the story, honestly. Um, like, Shriv becomes, a like, a POV character. Yeah, which which I didn't expect. <laughs> which is awesome. Yeah, and um, so like, what did you what did you think about just the degree to which we saw them? I loved like Shriv has such a special, cynical, unique voice in Battlefront Two. Mm-hmm. 
And so when we got Shriv and when I immediately fell in love with his snarky ass, like I was really hoping we'd get him back in some way. And this yeah. this was so satisfying. He was just as snarky and delightful as ever. And we don't get to see much of his relationship with Zay at all. Well, we only get Zay in the, D- in the, the DLC. But mm. it was nice to see them together and how Shriv, Uncle Shriv, as she calls him, (laughs) my heart, how they are the only family each other has left. And now they're fighting for the resistance yet again. They're back in the fight and they have to balance their connection. Well, Shriv has to balance his connection and attachment to her with leading and bringing her into this fight, which he seems very, very reluctant to do because that's the last family he has and he loves her. He won't, while well, he doesn't admit it and he, he tries his best not to be too mushy because it's Shriv. Um, I loved watching their dynamic together and how he tries to protect her even though they're in the middle of a, <laughs> middle of a war. It's like, I, it's, it was nice to see that sensitive side of Shriv. And I think that Shriv, would make an excellent leader despite his flaws that he just needs some time and his story perfectly showcased that he you know made several mistakes and stumbled along the way of their mission to save things and save the ships and it it was just another example in this novel of we you don't have time there's no perfect training for this you sometimes you got to learn on the job and he's going to be a better leader for it and i hope we see him in nine in a leadership role even if he's just standing there in the background just give me just give me shriv just give me shriv yeah like full credit to the the battlefront writing team um i feel like shriv is a perfect star wars character yes like he like not only attitude but also like wonderful way of using like a star wars alien Mm -hmm. like shift could have been anything (laughs) i feel like making him a duros is just like even better um like it's it's i just love that aspect too like i love a good alien character in star wars he like Um, has a perfect resting bitch face as a duros as well which is perfect for his character Yeah, and his like his design is so good, even just with the the battle scars on the face and whatnot. Um, but yeah, it's he he was really special to get you know in his head a little more, and um, you know the responsibility of what he's got to do. And yeah, that that like sequence on Braca was was really like kind of like that was some like edge of the seat stuff when like. I, I for, oh man, I forget some of these smaller characters, but like you have that one guy who's like ready to fight anyone, <laughs> um, kind of thing. Oh, was yeah. Like pace, was his name? pace or something. Pacer. Pacer. There we yeah. go. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and so like they get in trouble there. I mean, Shriv loses people on that mission. Um, one of like the like old, strong hammer, yeah. sweet handsome ape of a man, right. strong hammer, <laughs> who who was one of the original uh, Phantom Squadron pilots i believe um yeah and also who uh was like sort of stuck it to poe right on their first um meeting when he was like i heard it yeah. about you you fucked up <laughs> um 
(laughs) (laughs) So, so yeah, like he lost people on that mission and, you know, just sort of, yeah, that he almost lost himself until like the very end. Yeah. Um, Oh my God. That was a lot for me. I was not ready to handle that death either. (laughs) So it was, yeah, it was really cool getting um, to see Shriv in that context. And then, cause he is very much a side character in the, in the battlefront stories. Um, so getting, getting his sort of perspective a lot deeper was great. And then with Zay, um, there's a really great moment where Poe's like sort of trying to give this speech about, um, uh, sort of like the job at hand and like what they need to do. And Zay, I'm, I'm an idiot for not like finding this quote before talking about it, but, uh, (laughs) <laughs> Zay sort of like finishes the speech for him. I forgot the exact wording, but it's like it's like a like a chance to make things right or something. And they both sort of like look at each other and have this kind of connection, both as sort of children of um, rebellion pilot heroes, kind of thing. Um, yeah, I can't remember the quote. Oops. But I'm sure if you've read the novel, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, yes. So, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't remember either. I know. It was, it was a great moment, though. Um, just that kind of connection between the two of them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think Zay, Zay wasn't as uh, sort of front and center as Shriv ended up being. But it was, it was great to see um, those two back in, the, back in the action. And, of course, another big idea in... Resistance Reborn is the the sequel trilogy trio as we as we know it um, coming together between Poe, Ray, and Finn, and obviously that's going to be a big part of um, the Rise of Skywalker. So it was nice to get that sort of table setting working because, like as as has been discussed several times, um, Ray and Poe and Finn haven't had that much story together, like actually sharing in like the same space together. (laughs) Like they've all, they've all like had the same sort of goals, but um, you know, they, they haven't really been a team exactly. So you you started, you start to see more of that happening. And um, I think another sort of big thing between the dynamic between those is uh, Rebecca Roanhorse. I think she knows (laughs) Where her uh, her ship flag is planted. <laughs> she, she does... It's not a ship, guys. It's a whole freaking like dreadnought yeah. sized ship. Yes. <laughs> it's got two big cannons on it. Not ready. Not afraid to fire. <laughs> um, and no. that, of course, is our glorious uh, Finpo ship, the Storm Pilot. Um, she is. She she knocks. She has some like just moments that really go for this none none more satisfying than the, the tie scene <laughs> tie oh, that was downright a sexy tie, the necktie <laughs> um teach me to tie a tie daddy yes. and isn't and it wasn't finn like kind of like nervous for like poe to like see him <laughs> Yeah, he was so anxious and he was like really nervous he was so cute he's like, he's about like, don't it. look at me <laughs> I'm idiot. I'm not ready for you to see me yet for our hot like, date to this party. Um, <laughs> and yeah, like this, this is, these are really like sweet moments. And especially when 
in the sort of past week or so, we've had this sort of, uh, I mean, I won't, I don't want to say drama, but like, it's sort of come out that like Finpo will not be explored in episode nine. Um, yes. And that's been confirmed by the two actors and JJ. And you can feel a multitude of ways about this. Um, and it's kind of unfortunate to get these kind of moments in a book like this. And no, it's not going to be um, sort of like put on screen for for the people that it would like really make a difference for. Um, yeah. But at least we have these moments. <laughs> yes. Um, we have yeah. Sir Linda picking out their outfits and before Poe even tells her who his plus one's going to be. She knows it's Poe. She knows it's Finn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> I loved that right. so much. And yeah, it's like, it's this is one of those things where it's like, yes, the, the on-screen rep is, is preferable, but I don't need a movie to tell me what's real. <laughs> like, like this is real. As yes, fuck. exactly. Um, I know this is. Yeah. Like this is, this is, a thing and you have the two actors this is like one too many cocktails at a dinner party away from happening guys and you know you have the two actors like believing it like yes and i know some people don't don't like the way they've acted towards it um but like for me it's always been a, a sign of like uh they know the movie is not gonna do it so like they're gonna do what they can to give it like that was always my interpretation yeah. of them. I know some people have like thought it was a like a queer baiting kind of thing, which is like unfortunate if if you know you you feel that way. And um, like, but for me, it was always like they're gonna do what they can to 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 show their support of it. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that's that's like one way um, that Finpo has manifested itself in our lives um even though it's not in the or not going to be explicitly in the movie um but yeah i think the uh the thai scene was killer she really did a good job with their scenes together and she also like kind of shuts down the like ray and finn and or or, what did i say ray and finn and then like finn and rose yeah Um, yeah, so like it's like that's not a thing. Yeah, so it's just like it's <laughs> like guys, this ain't this ain't a thing. This ain't happening. No. Um, <laughs> and I guess that could jump into another character that we haven't really talked about, which is Rose. Um, yeah. She's of course, you know, I think she stays on Ryloth with um, Leia and uh, sort of helps monitor all the missions. But did you feel like you would have liked more Rose in the novel or? it was kind of like expected the role she played. I think it was kind of expected for me. I'm glad that she did play a role and that she had, at least in my opinion, it, there was a clear conflict or you could see Ray or you can see Rose trying to step into a leadership role that she hasn't quite earned except by the bodies of people people on in ahead of her mm-hmm. and she but that's not to say that she's not capable of doing it at all i don't want that to be what i'm what you take away from me saying this it's just that she's been thrust into a position 
from, you know, fixing, you know, fixing mechanics, uh, you know, being a mechanic in the bottom of the ship, not having any sort of leadership role to now she has to lead. She has to help be at the top Mm -hmm. of the resistance because there's nobody. And she has proven herself, her loyalty and that her heart is in the right place. So now is her time like so many other characters in this book to learn on the job and you see her stumble a little bit but luckily Leia is there to mentor her and guide her when she is unsure and you can tell that she's nervous throughout this whole thing she's like I don't know if I'm ready for this there's some part of her that's just a little anxious about being put in this position and we do know that she does have some sort of leadership role in episode Mm 9 Now we get to see how we start to get there. Right. Um, which was nice. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited for her potential for nine because I think she can have some really great moments. And we know like from the footage of, of the trailers and stuff, like this battle is gonna involve everyone. Like there's no there's no side yeah. there's no sideline sitting um, for any of these characters. So I'm very excited for what Rose can do. And yeah, like it was kind of expected for for this novel, especially when, when you're trying to really lock down that, the core trio, um, and like really show, and you, you know, you're bringing characters like Wedge and whatnot back into the story. Like, yeah, some, some people will, will sort of not have as much focus, but, um, I think it was, it was definitely nice to like sort of set her up for where Rise of Skywalker can take her. Um, but I think sort of like the last sort of thing of our discussion kind of is, um, the book was basically cameos for days. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was like, oh, you remember this one? You remember this one? Um, and so many characters came back from all sorts of different stories. Um, and there's some that we definitely need to spend a little more time on. So the, the first one I'll mention is um, Yendor. I thought that was a really cool callback to, to Claudia Gray's novels and a way in to finding, you know, this sort of sanctuary for the resistance. So Yendor, of course, is a Twi'lek who fought throughout the rebellion, who knows Leia from like bloodline and, and the rebellion and stuff. He's in Corona squadron with Thane Kyrell and lost stars. Exactly. So he, he's got some pedigree within our, our star Wars storytelling. And it was really nice to see him sort of leading this Twi'lek resistance of sorts, like sort of this paramilitary group, um, detached from the government who sort of I think has to hold this like they they either I don't think they're like first order sympathizers right the Twi'lek no I, I don't that wasn't the impression yeah, I got they're just sort all. of like they know that position they're in and they so like that's why this sort of Twi'lek offshoot resistance has happened because the government sort of has to hold this this face to not get destroyed and meanwhile they have this like uh, resistance group operating. So it was really cool seeing Yendor there and doing what he does best as a good homie, accepting the resistance, letting them use um, their facilities as a base. And and Yendor doesn't leave this novel unscathed, right? Like he he loses no. his daughter and uh, in the sort of first order attack at the end. And there's a really great moment where like sadly Yendor is like ready to to give his life like he he sort of like 
I won't say like lost hope, but like he sort of sees the inevitable and he's like, you know what, just, just escape. Um, I'll cover you. Like, just, just leave. Like I'll, I'll die here. And um, I think like for like half a moment, Leia sort of like accepts that. And then she's like, then she sees they have like an extra X-wing and she's like, Yandor, I need a pilot. You got this. And, and it sort of like brings him out of that to like learn that, um, like, is sort of the story of the resistance. Like, you don't have to give up. There's always another chance. Um, let's take it and go. And so that that was a really epic moment for him. That was probably like the peaky and or moment of the novel. Um, so he he's he's like, yeah, I can I can do that X wing. I can I'll, I'll fly it for you, and um, you know, keep fighting. Yeah, that was, I agree. That was the, I mean, after being, you know, knowing Yendor for so long and having that attachment and knowing how long Leia's friendship with him has been. And yeah, when he, it, I guess it just comes back to once a pilot, always a pilot, because <laughs> the second she's like, come on, fly this thing, that snaps him out of it, snaps him right out of it. And he knows that his time and his role is not done mm-hmm. that he can do more. Um, you got to take your losses and keep on fighting. It's what Leia has been doing for so long. It's what Yendor's going to keep doing. Right. I, that was a fantastic cameo that yeah, I didn't expect to uh, him to be in this at all, <laughs> but I was, he played a really, really satisfying role in that. And offered the resistance shelter when nobody else would and yeah mm-hmm. shout out to yendor good old homie a good guy i hope i hope he um i don't know it's it's one of those like outside shots but if he has any sort of reference in in episode nine that'd be kind of wonderful um as would the next character who i think is the one who's kind of on most people's minds ransom Kasterfo. Ransom freaking Casterfo. My guy. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> oh man. What what an inclusion. Um Oh my god. Not only not only is a follow-up to Bloodline, because Bloodline, as anyone who's read Bloodline will know, leaves his fate very ambiguous. <laughs> in a in a way that's in a way that's not okay. <laughs> yeah. I've accepted that he's been dead for years. Right. <laughs> and this is a guy who is like by all means not like crystal like beautiful you know like or maybe he is like physically i don't really remember <laughs> but um his characterizes i'm sure he is <laughs> but i think um i think claudia gray she does this amazing thing that i wish all authors did where when she creates a new character in star wars she tells us who she like fan casts for it and like who she imagines yeah and she so she chose tom hiddleston for Ransom Kasterfa. So do with that what you will. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I guess, yeah, he's probably is a, a, a good looking dude. Um, but he's not a crystal perfect um, personality, I guess. Like throughout Bloodline, you're like, what is this dude's deal? Like he's like collecting essentially Nazi memorabilia um, in the galaxy and he's so naive yeah and he's like so naive he's like constantly butting heads with leia about things that like pretty much you're always on leia's side but 
Like he's, yeah. he's a compelling character though in that way. Um, but sort of the big thing is they, you know, throughout Bloodline, they have this massive misunderstanding and, um, but then like sort of a friendship, but then it gets te- like tanked again. And through all the drama of that novel, uh, Kesterfo is like taken by the authorities. He's like framed for an assassination or something. Um, and he's like taken to to go rot somewhere or even die. Like we just don't know. And like Leia doesn't know until this novel. And when they take him away, Leia makes the point in Bloodline of, or her inner monologue makes the point of noting, yeah, there's the death penalty on his planet. Mm-hmm. He might not, he might not, he might not survive this one. He's probably not going to survive this one. Yeah. And it's, it's left as a really like bittersweet note in that novel. Um, but Leia finds out about him here and our heroes Wedge and whatnot and Snap and Yama and everybody, they actually um, uh, break him free and they bring him into the resistance. So how about that? <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And I like, I think I have a little softer side for Ransom Kisterfo. I felt like they, in Bloodline, it was very much to me... Um, him learning from Leia that his ideals aren't necessarily perfect and mm-hmm. Leia learning from him why people may have felt that her ideas were not perfect. And mm-hmm. it's an understanding. Um, it's like try them un- learning to understand the opposite side of the political spectrum without wanting to murder them eventually, which I think is, which, which I think is good. A right. good thing. <laughs> In many cases for us as a society to learn, not always, but in many cases. But one thing that they do end up agreeing on is that, oh, there's a thing starting called, I guess they eventually, they eventually find out the first order Mm -hmm. and they've got to stop it. Right. And because Ransom tries to stop the first order, that's why he's captured. So that's the reason he's captured. They have him in a prison. The first order does. If anybody is primed, has a vengeance, and is ready to take that goddamn organization down, it is Ransom Gasterfo. So I guess that that asks, makes me want to ask a question of like, what do you think he'll bring to the table? Because he's not a like commander, like a military leader, but he is a very smart ex senator. And um, like, what what would you? I don't know. Like, I, we can talk about whether we'll see him in episode nine or not but i i would expect no (laughs) sadly um so like what do you what would what role would you like to see ransom casterfo play in the the resistance well i think that the rebellion and the resistance have an excellent track record of leaders who are politicians Mm mm-hmm Leia was a senator. Bail Organa was a senator. Mon Mothma was a senator. All of these major leaders worked in the government. And I think that his expertise is important because, well, partially now, he I think he understands the mindset of the First Order maybe a little bit better. That could help. But also, one, it's the issue that the rebellion faced in forming the New Republic is okay, we got to win the day, but then how do we rebuild this world? Mm-hmm. 
And I think he's going to be an important player in that as well, hopefully, because <laughs> they've both seen it screw up once before. <laughs> right. Um, I think that having somebody like an ex-senator in a leadership role is important. He's, I feel if he hasn't been completely beaten down in his time of imprisonment, which is very likely that he has been, it's a possibility. But having somebody like that who commands respect and leadership and presents himself in a way that can motivate and move troops and inspire people to come to the resistance in general, I think he could be a really important aspect asset. Can you imagine seeing like, like a TV announcement or a hollow net, I guess, like speech from Ransom Casterfo being like, this is my story. I was a first order prisoner. I was a senator. This is why we have to stop them. Mm-hmm. That is just, it's like Sir Linda trying to write a story to bring people to the cause. He's just the perfect story to tell. Um, I think he could be really useful to the resistance in a lot of ways if he's up to the fight. Right. <laughs> we don't really know. He seems pretty beaten down when we find him, but also that's because we see him literal, the last time we see him is literally hours after being imprisoned for what? 20 years? Yeah. Ish? Yeah. That's kind of like an interesting question where it's like, not to get like to ending of Game of Thrones on everyone, but <laughs> they the Republic has failed twice. <laughs> like, yes. You imagine, imagine the end of Rise of Skywalker. I think it's a fair assumption to believe that good will prevail. <laughs> um, <laughs> Most likely. And... You know that when they when they're putting the pieces back together, it's like, does the republic like is the republic going to get another chance? Like, I don't know. It's just it's an interesting thing to think about, and I don't know. Whatever it is, I hope I hope that's where Ransom Casterfo comes in. Like, you know, someone's got to rebuild this. I don't I don't want to say the words Supreme Chancellor Ransom Casterfo, but I will. Oh, oh. um, oh. like maybe, oh, baby. Someone, yeah, there's got to be a big, a big leader for Ugh. the story, right? Like, if there's, if there are stories after nine, the galaxy has to exist, even if it's just like books and stuff. The, the, oh my god, the galaxy will have to exist. What will the form of government be? If there, I assume there has to be a form of government. <laughs> um, and oh my you god, know, the story, <laughs> the stories will need a central figure. And I don't know, Chancellor Castorfo, it, it rings true to me. I think that's my moist moment for the week, Nikki, is oh, the phrase go. Chancellor Casterfo. Supreme Chancellor. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh my god. He <laughs> Yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be really interesting to think about what the storytelling post Rise of Skywalker will be, who they'll still use, blah blah blah. Oh boy. Um oh boy. <laughs> we'll sort of wrap up the cameos segment by uh, maybe just some brief shout-outs to some of our favorite. So I don't know if you thought about this yet, Claire, but if you have a top three cameos, can you give oh, me your, your can you give me your bottom your your third one? Um oh god, this was just cameo city left and right here. Um I mean I uh, <sighs> Is it cheating to say Wedge Antilles? Is that a cheap answer? I wouldn't classify it as a cameo, but I'll take it. Yeah. I, just because 
any chance I get to go into that sweet, sensitive man's brain and and I didn't expect Wedge Antilles to come into the story and be a um a father figure hero character <laughs> being mm-hmm. daddy. Yeah. I I loved that side of him and it was oh yeah, I think that was a really good one. I mean, he it was a major character. It's not really cameo, but yeah, I just Wedge Antilles was one of my favorites for sure. Yeah. It it was so nice having him back. Um and like like we sort of mentioned before, there's a there's a moment at the end where he's like him and Nora are like ready to lay down their lives for for this mission. And they're like, everybody go, we'll we'll hold them off kind of scenario. Um and I was like, shit, this is this is coming, this is happening. God damn it, Rebecca Roanhorse, you had to be the one to take this <laughs> man away from me. You had to bring him back and then take him away from me. And then um they they come back and or they're saved in the end by I don't know if this counts as a cameo, but I'm gonna mention it anyway right now. A Corellian Corvette. <laughs> Yeah, buddy. That, that oh, that's sexy. That's one of those CR nineties. Um, so they're they're sort of saved in that regard. They get out, and then yeah, their mission is sort of like to to go throughout the galaxy and and sort of spread the word, which is a cool a cool way to both like keep them active and also sort of write them out a little bit. Um, it remains to be seen whether Wedge would show up in Rise of Skywalker. I think it it's a wonderful opportunity to get. Dennis Lawson just a little bit of little bit of action in the sequel trilogy, even though he definitely turned down the Force Awakens. <laughs> um, but I think, I mean, just to mention that sort of dynamic, I feel like when he when he showed up to Celebration, I think a lot of his conceptions about what it meant to be a part of this changed. Um, so I think if he was asked, he I think he would come back for like a little bit of. A little bit of wedge action. Um, but yeah, I think my third is... Because she didn't play a huge role when compared to like Snap and stuff. Um, it was really cool having uh, Jess Pava in the story. Yes. Because we've seen... We, of course, have seen her in um, uh, The Force Awakens as one of the X-Wing pilots. And um, I feel like she's just like a cool character in general. And... Um, It'd be it'd be fun to have her back in episode nine. I don't know if she'll she'll be in there, but uh, it was it was cool to see her again, um, and do some do some stuffs, do some things and stuff, do some piloting things and fighting things, um, because she's actually part of the mission to bring back. You know, we forgot to mention this character. I forgot her name, um, but that like sort of warlord. The, like, Tisa Nas. That's the one. <laughs> Dude, she's so a very rad. cool character. <laughs> she's so very cool. metal. Yeah, like she's super cool. Um, I don't really know what to like say about her in this moment, but she's just <laughs> she's got such a vibe. Um, she is my queen. <laughs> bitch. Yeah, like bad bitch energy right here. Um, don't mess with her. And um, yeah, she she was very cool. And Jess was part of the team that brought her into the fold. So cool. <laughs> what about a uh, a second cameo for you? I mean, I gotta say, our buddy General Rykan. Oof. I just here we go. 
I mean, I, I it's lovely to have those moments, especially when he was like briefly. I mean, he was really briefly discussed in it, but it was enough for me to just feel warm and fuzzy inside and know that and to have that moment of Leia and General Rykan being reunited in that leadership room and just being like, we have been like just acknowledging that this is someone that has been through so much with you. I'm thankful that you're back on my side. That just it just gave me the warm fuzzies to know that he's back. He's with our boo. And oh my God, I'm so happy. Mm-hmm. I loved I loved seeing him. Just hearing his name was enough to me for me to like feel my my warm hug. Yeah. From the Star Wars he, gods. He was my second as well. Because for all the same reasons. Um especially just sort of rewatching Empire and seeing him there. And he's like, I don't know if it's a joke or not, but when he's like, a uh, a death sentence, it's not an easy thing to live with. Like, <laughs> it's like, no shit. <laughs> um, it's like, yeah, uh, he is a, just one of those characters who you don't expect to see again. And when you do, it's like, yes. I, I always have those kind of thoughts about old rebellion leaders. Um it's like, what did they do? Like, did they did they end up dying? Because I think within the new canon now, like, Dodonna doesn't survive the war. No. Um, and so, it, and uh, I think Crix Maydean from Return of the Jedi, I don't know if he died, but his fate is, like, not great. Because I think he's in one of, like, the assassination attempts in, in uh, Life Debt. Um, yeah. So, like, oh, that's right. You, Right. I think he gets he gets like badly wounded or something. I don't know if he dies. But um yeah, I always wonder about these people who you just kinda see like the leadership. So General Riken showing up. I don't know how old he is now <laughs> within the story, because he's probably up there. But I like to imagine old grandpa Riken helping out, knowing knowing his duty to Leia. Um I think that's that's just one of the through lines of of these stories. People feel such loyalty to her that they'll like I don't know what he was doing before, but they'll come back and they'll they'll help her. Um, so who's your one? <sighs> so I, it's so hard. There's so many good ones in this, but I have to say that, and this is kind of like sort of a joke answer, but also I just loved every second of it. Um, I love seeing Sarah Linda because. We started off with her being drunk at a party after they win a freaking battle <laughs> and her like doing some weird kind of warbling singing that's like making everyone a bit nauseous. And mm-hmm. she doesn't stop being extra through the entire thing. And yeah. she's I every single moment we had with her was super, super delightful. And I know she played a bit of a bigger role as well. But yeah, it's. I just uh, I sh- I love that she had a bigger role to play here, and it was uh, she just delighted and weirded me out every step of the way, and it seems like she did the same to like everybody around her. <laughs> yeah, because she's such a unique character because she comes from the comics, and the comics more than anything will do the weird yeah. shit. Right? <laughs> um, so I don't even know what her species is. I can't remember, but like she looks like a Navi. From Avatar. Oh my gosh, yeah. Right? Which is like just a weird visual for Star Wars anyway. Um, so it's like, it's both interesting to 
again, try to put it like imagine Oscar Isaac interacting with like a blue cat lady. Right. right? <laughs> like it, it's just it's crazy to think about. And yeah, she was a delight throughout the whole thing. She always had like a a great like one liner or something. Um her 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 uh her whole demeanor is just it's very Star Wars, right? Like we're gonna risk our lives, but we're gonna have a good time doing it. Yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. Um yeah, she was really cool. Um my number one cameo was the one I actually fist pumped the air and shouted when I saw the name. I was so excited. Again, not for any reason to do with story or the movies, barely, but mostly just like a, f- a weird fandom that popped up mostly because of Robot Chicken. <laughs> and that is Ori Marco. Ori Marco. Prune face. Oh my god. Which if you have not seen the robot chicken prune face sketch, it's one of their greatest ever. <laughs> and like just just having this guy show up who we sort of like my friends and I have just sort of obsessed about sort of like low-key um for no other reason than that sketch is really funny. And he just became this sort of like cult hero for us. And I think also for like older generations who bought the toy of a guy called Prune <laughs> um, Like he's always had this just sort of like low key cult status and seeing him come back into the resistance, just it, oh, it filled me with such joy. And um, yeah, or Marco Pruneface himself, a Dresselian um, who is following in the footsteps of another great Dresselian of, was he called like has obit or something? Yeah, uh, from yeah, from uh, from a uh, uh, catalyst. Yeah, yeah. Um, Our smuggler lo- buddy. Right. I love that species. I think they look hilarious and in prune face with the little eye patch. I think it's so it's cute. like one of the weird things. I think they are kind of cute. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, I think Salacious Crumb's cute, and people tend to poo poo on that as well. So I don't know if you want to be in that camp with me, Nikki. <laughs> I think like like for me, the Dresselians, they have that like sort of. Just that round face and the kind of like big eyes. It's it's just it's very easy to get on board with. Very um, teddy bear like. Yeah. And they just yeah, they kinda of just look like cute frogs. <laughs> I, don't <know>. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say. Um but yeah, Ora Marco was very special for me. And I I don't expect like half these people to show up in episode nine. Um but uh it would be wonderful if they did. I would love to watch them and notice them for the first time on like my sixth viewing in the background of a shot somewhere. That's all I want. That would be too much to ask, but I I would love it. <laughs> oh man, a Dresselian with an eye patch in that sort of like group shot of the like when Poe and Finn are uh, like talking in the center and stuff. Oh, oh. things you can dream of. Um. Oh. <laughs> if only we could have it all. <laughs> I know. Oh my god. Ah, well, um, I guess that covers that, and we'll just sort of wrap it all up now um, with final thoughts and I guess how we think it might all tie tie in a little more specifically to Episode 9. So why don't you hit me up with your final wrap-up of Resistance Reborn and where you think it might lead to for Episode 9. So, uh, I, as I said at the beginning, I am. this is... 
my favorite book of the year. I I adored every second of it. I felt like it was, while it had like 18,000 different stories going on at once, I felt like it was still one cohesive unit. Um, it was, it was gut-wrenching at moments. It really hit me in the emotional spot right where I needed it to. And it, you know, it's, I think it's a really, really great setup to what we're about to see. I I wish that this book would have, you know, I don't think this book is going to have a significant impact on what we see in episode nine because they never do that. But I think that it's going to have a spot like Catalyst does in my heart where you don't have to read Catalyst to enjoy Rogue One. Mm-hmm. But reading Catalyst and then going to see Rogue One completely added like emotional it had added like it had new emotional notes. It had, you know, it made me understand the world like I've seen the deleted scenes, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that this book is gonna do a lot of the same. I don't think it's obviously not essential reading because none of the reading is essential to understand the story. It all stands on its own. But this is going to be a really helpful addition. I think for me, when we get these few moments of talking about how the resistance has been rebuilt, and I think that most of that is going to end up in the crawl, but we'll probably get some dialogue from some characters along the way. And now mm-hmm. we have vivid images and stories to put behind the couple lines that we're going to get. You're and right. I think that's going to be enough for me to, you know, it's going to add more depth to it for me. I think that this is going to be, I don't think that a lot of these characters are going to show up in nine. Nikki, I want every single one of them there, which is unfortunate (laughs) because I know I'm not going to get it. Right, right. If I could only get one thing from this book in episode nine, I want Ransom Kasterfo in this goddamn movie. Somebody just, somebody cast somebody as Ransom Kasterfo and put him in the war room, give him one line, that's all I need. <laughs> like Tom Hiddleston, <laughs> what you doing? <laughs> I need it. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but yeah, I, I just, overall, fantastic novel. Quick read. It's just hard not to mm-hmm. put down. And mm-hmm. it has made me infinitely more hyped to see how much further our characters will have progressed by the time we're sitting in the theater like a week and a half from now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I'm very much the same in all of that. Like this, like like sort of said earlier, this was a real love letter to Star Wars storytelling of the sort of new canon. It's, I can imagine it's one like the story group is incredibly proud of. Yes, um, I bet. Because yeah, it's just like, it's con- constantly drawing from all sorts of, of different things. So maybe you've, read some comics, never played any games, or only played games, never read any books. But there, there's something in this novel that you will recognize from something you've seen outside of a movie, which was really awesome. And like just thinking about episode nine, like we, we, had, to, we had to go from seeing everybody fit in the Millennium Falcon at the end of Last Jedi to that shot in the trailer of the Millennium Falcon leading every single ship in Star Wars, oh. right? Um, oh. And this, right. It's, it, that's, 
going to be such a, a moment. And this book does its small piece of helping link those two, where you see there are still people out there who want to fight, whether they're ex-military, current military, or by the looks of that shot, anybody with a fucking ship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I can't wait to see how how this all manifests in, in episode nine. I'm sure we'll get even more stories after episode nine that, you know, pick up after Resistance Reborn. Um, because it's it's just, yeah, it's really special to see all this come together. And sort of like episode nine is going to, as, as the writers have told us, like reference every movie of the saga and, um, you know, sort of like bring uh, endings to arcs that have spanned. I think Chris Terrier said there are like 24 character arcs that are brought to a close. <laughs> <laughs> in the Rise of Skywalker, which is nuts. Um, but anyway, like this book sort of was an, an appetizer for that feeling as well, where like it just drawing on so much to bring it all into this this ending that we're barreling towards um, in just over just over a week. Um, so yeah, it was it was really special, and I think also just. Considering that shot of episode nine with all the ships, I thought it was actually like we've we've talked about how many cameos they were. I thought it was actually fairly limited in the end of how many people they brought in. Yeah. Um, because like that that group, by the time they're all sort of introduced, doesn't really expand that much. Um whereas like I was expecting like I mean anyone could have been in it, like, like the ghost crew, blah, blah, blah. Like so many people could have come into the story. But so for as many things as they did bring in, they still kept it pretty small. So you know, like, you know that the resistance is still sort of like in dire need of help. Um, but yeah, everything uh, Rebecca Roanhorse did was, was really special. Great characterizations. Um, a lot of talk about Poe's hair. <sighs> As there should be. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things. It's like, sometimes in that, I wasn't sure, like, I never got the feeling from the movies that Poe was obsessed with his hair. <laughs> but it does make sense. I mean, and have actually, you seen like, his hair? I know, right? And like, all those times off screen, he's, like, fixing it, maybe. <laughs> um, but I think, yeah, something that's been really, like, special about this story for me is it's inspired me to create. <laughs> Ooh. Um, so like something I am now like trying to do, I- I'm thinking about writing a little bit of fan fiction. Yeah, buddy. Um, but since I don't know how to like write novels, it'll be like in script form. Um, and I really like this novel really made me think about the days of like Wedge teaching Poe at the Academy. And like, I kind of want to just even just for myself, like write a story about that. Um, yeah. So it's it's always great when um, you you watch something or you read something and it it inspires you to like make something yourself. Um, so that's a really sort of special thing about this novel, um, introducing or bringing back these characters, creating these dynamics again of things that like you can't wait to explore. To the degree that you're willing to just make it yourself. <laughs> um, that's, so that's, that's a pretty fun thing about this novel. And like I said at the beginning, I'm sure there's stuff we forgot. 
because there's there's so much in this book. So the first the first sort of um, thing is if you haven't read it, but you still wanted the spoilers and you listened anyway, go read it because it's it's perfect. And I'm sure anybody who uh, who listened to this and wants to talk about it can of course hit us up on online to uh, please do to uh, talk about it because it's it's fun. Um, but yeah, I guess that essentially brings everything to a close. It's been a pretty pretty lengthy Bennett <laughs> uh, Library episode, but if you've listened to any of our past ones, I'm sure that's not <laughs> um, not something you found unexpected. <laughs> I think Thrawn Alliances, we did like a total of three hours. Yeah, something like that. That sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> um, which, yeah, I guess also helps address an elephant in the room, I suppose, which if anyone remembers, <laughs> we did do Thrawn Treason Part 1. We and did. we never did Thrawn Treason Part 2. We did not. <laughs> um, partially, or no, 100% my fault, because <laughs> I've still not finished Thrawn Treason. <laughs> um, so I want to I wanna maybe tease a little content for you guys. Um, I'm going to finish Thrawn Treason, <laughs> and then we're going to wrap that up and just sort of because it has been forever. Um, I was thinking because we, we've now got an announcement since those episodes that Timothy Zahn is doing more Thrawn books. Yeah, buddy. Um, so I'm going to suggest uh, we'll do an episode where we sort of wrap up Thrawn Treason and use that time to also cover the, the trilogy as a whole. And what we might expect from the new books. Yeah. So we're going to have a big Thrawn special at some point. Oh, it's coming. Um, Prepare yourselves. There we go. So thanks, everybody. Thank you, Claire. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Like, letting, that one, letting that one slide. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're going we're gonna to get back to our, blue, our blueprints because he's, he's perfect to talk about. Yes. Um, but yeah, so that, that'll cover sort of the future Senate Library for now. And um Basically, as you guys know, if you want to uh, keep in or c- keep catching up with us, catch up with past shows, find all our like social media accounts, you can do that at imperialsenatepodcast.com. We're trying to build a cool uh, portal there for sort of written content as well, um, some like sort of editorials and reviews for different Star Wars content. Um, I know we've got one up there from I, I think Emma wrote a piece on the Old Republic uh, video game content that came out. Um, so that's something you can check out. I know my friend uh, Josh Woodbury, who keeps who, who uh, did some D23 coverage for us on our account. I know he's a, he's a big Disney uh, parks kind of person. So I think he's going to do a kind of review of Rise of the Resistance ride for our site when that uh, launches in... Um, uh, in Disneyland in January. So that'll be awesome. We're just trying to do some cool stuff on that website. So keep checking in on there. Uh, if you have any questions for us about this episode, um, then you can email us at imperialsenatepodcast at gmail.com and we'll talk about them uh, with you on the following episode or the main episode. Or if you have any questions in general um, about Star Wars or Mandalorian, uh, we of course have our Three Blurgs and a Bounty episode um, that we have upcoming to discuss Chapter 5, The Gunslinger. Ooh, ooh. 
Um, which actually, Claire, you've been on Star Wars Underworld's show, uh, uh, yes. Radio Razor Crest. I was on Radio yeah. Razor Crest to talk about this week. If you just can't wait to hear my opinions on it, <laughs> you can get a teaser there. So, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Go listen to them. Uh, I can't wait for us to discuss it because... It's a, it's a it's a juicy episode. We have we have things to say. <laughs> oh yeah, there's great content coming from that episode. Um, so yeah, looking forward to that. If you'd like to help support the show, you can do so by picking up some sweet sweet swag from tpublic.com forward slash user forward slash the Imperial Senate Podcast, and you can also become a patron on our Patreon page. Be one of the heroes keeping us alive. Um, and if you haven't had enough uh, of anything, <laughs> uh, you can follow us on Twitter at ImpSenatePod, on Instagram at Imperial Senate Pod, and on Facebook by searching the Imperial Senate Podcast. So it's been a pleasure to discuss Resistance Reborn with you, Claire. It most certainly has. Yes, we hope all our listeners enjoyed the discussion as well and the geeking out and the just sheer happiness that this novel gave us. So, um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna come back to you soon. We're looking forward to Rise of Skywalker. Looking forward to the new um, novels. Maybe another teaser. Uh, sometimes we cover comics, and of course, the Rise of Kylo Ren comics are sort of like these looming things coming. They come. Um, so that could be a fun thing to discuss as well in the future. So again, thanks everybody for listening. Can't wait to come back and do it again. Um, And remember, the Force will be with you always. Bye. Goodbye, everyone.